Welcome to New Mexico in Focus. I am Kevin McDonald, your host and executive producer here at New Mexico PBS. And this is the New Mexico in Focus podcast for Friday, March 25th, 2022. We appreciate you as always for giving this a listen, downloading, subscribing, and we encourage you to invite other people to do it as well. We are appreciative of the ability to bring you extra content in these podcasts. And of course, if you can, you can always catch the show Friday nights at 7 p.m. on New Mexico PBS, KNME, Channel 5.1, or Sunday mornings at 7 a.m. We're going to start this week where we usually do, and that's with our line opinion panel. And got another great one for you this week. All of these folks joined us via Zoom. Uh, former House Minority Whip Dan Foley, Crystal Ciarza of Ciarza Digital Group, and we welcome back Dave Mulryan, founder of the group Everybody Votes. we got a really good slate of topics for them to dig into this week, and we want to jump right into it right now, starting with the news that a special session will happen starting here in just about a week and a half. April 5th is the day for the special session. And what we know right now is that it will cover uh, some of the spending issues that the governor vetoed, uh, much to the chagrin of even members of her own party. But uh, they'll be handling that. They will also be talking about some things to maybe help all of us with uh, soaring gas prices and other inflation uh, issues. And so we'll see if anything else gets added to that docket. We'll be gearing up to bring you all of the information we can but uh, we want to dive into uh, how our line panelists think that will uh, go in those discussions. Of course, work will be done ahead of time, no doubt, as well. So normally these special sessions are uh, days, not weeks long, because they cost about $50,000 a day. So that will no doubt be the case again this time, but wanted to get a little more into the weeds, so to speak about why we're at this place and what could be done, especially in terms of helping us out a lot with inflation, et cetera, et cetera. So let's jump right into it. Here's host Gene Grant and our line opinion panel. Welcome to our line opinion panel this week. Thanks for being here with us virtually. We're happy to welcome back Crystal Ciarza. She is the CEO of Ciarza Social Digital, one of the great shops here in town. Former state representative and minority whip Daniel Foley is back with us. Good to see you, Dan, as always. And we're excited to have Dave Mulryan of the group Everybody Votes back with us as well. Dave, welcome to you. Now, Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham called for this special session saying she wants lawmakers to find some sort of economic relief for New Mexicans pointing to things like inflation and high gas prices. Uh, let me, Dave, let me start with you. Um, very broad question here. Got some detail to cover here. Is legislation the solution to these problems? You know, I hope so, because I'm still reeling. Uh, Senator Katie Duhigg, which she is a, a representative from Albuquerque, she was down in Roswell, and she put up a picture on her Facebook showing gas for eight dollars and 20 cents a wow. a gallon and i was like and you know and of course everyone jumped on and said oh this can't be true and it's like but she's like look i just took the picture myself it is true you know i can assure you i i mean 
this kind of inflationary, like, you know, $8, it's like being a smoker. Cigarettes used to be 25 cents a pack. Now they're $13 a pack. I mean, (laughs) you know, and this, but, but smoking is a choice in some ways, but I, I mean, this idea that gas has just so dramatically, you know, increased in price and that oil has increased so much in price. I do think that there, I hope they have like, you know, Dan had mentioned, I hope they have a plan and I hope they can execute it quickly mm-hmm. and that it's good for everyone. Dan, let's go right there. Uh, can this be executed quickly? There's some things to be discussed here. How long should this special take to get through this? Well, I mean, as is usual, Gene, and why you're one of my closest uh, friends out there, you love to ask these really quick questions that are super loaded. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, can it be answered? I mean, I I mean, we could have an hour long show about can the legislature solve our economic woes with a special session or passing legislation. Uh, I would say this when the Democrats or Republicans, this is not a this is not a partisan attack on the Democrats. They are in charge in New Mexico. Right. Mm-hmm. When one party is in charge of the legislature and the executive, normally when they have special sessions, everything is greased because gotcha. you don't want to embarrass anybody. Right. You yeah. don't want to go in and have this long, drawn out fight where the opposition party is going to say, look, these knuckleheads can't even get together for a meeting, you know, vote them out of office. So normally you, you know, you come together for these times, there's long meetings leading up to this. And when they announce it, they've reached a compromise to say, here's the five things we're going to do. Now, I will also say it's not uncommon for them to say, here's the five things we're going to do. And I'm not saying there's five, Gene, I'm just hypothetically mm-hmm. giving you that. Here's mm-hmm. the five things we're going to do. And we'll spend a few hours letting the minority and the majority argue over these two things over here. But we will pass these five things right. and we'll get some media time on the two other things. I would suspect this special session, you know, I, I mean, working wise will probably last a day and a half. It'll probably take them three or four days total by the time they get up there, they form, they get their committees, they print stuff up. They come back in. I, I would say, you know, it's probably going to be a three days, you know, three day okay. max session. Okay. Crystal, you know, there's a f- feeling out there. The special is about appeasing members of her own party, meaning her, meaning our governor. After she vetoed that $50 million funding bill that included money for senior centers and all other things. Is that really the, you know, from the outside looking in, do you have that same sense of this? Um, I I actually don't. Okay. And granted, you know, I always look at what's in the best public interest. And I think it was I can understand the amount of frustration, because if you actually look at the bill SB 48 um, and and I think if I'm not mistaken, Dan Foley, you all called it like a Christmas tree bill where it's like you hang all kinds of different, you know, capital outlay and different projects here and there. And hopefully something sticks. There's I would be curious if an organization like Source New Mexico or maybe even us at New Mexico and Focus can actually put together and see where these actual dollars are going to be spent, because they're right. There are some for senior citizen centers. There's some for like the Hobbs Senior Citizen Center, the Roswell Senior Citizen Center, Tularosa. But there's also things like senior um, like uh, industrial workforce programs, the new 66 visitors, uh, West Central 66 Visitor Center that's on here. It was almost like. Santa's wish list, right? It's it's a wish list but of is that items. Bad, that, is that a bad thing, Crystal? It it is and it isn't, right? And like as a as a because for example, it's a bill that nobody can say no to. And of course, the optics of the veto looked really bad for the governor, mm-hmm. without a doubt. But like I'm looking at this right now, one hundred thousand dollars to coordinate revisions to the Family Violence Protection Act. If you're against family violence protection. 
you're you've got to be a piece right. of work if you're going to be against this. So it's it's kind of like a catch 22. It's like you can't veto this bill um, completely, but you also have it, it's managing expectation and managing the needs of different communities. Mm -hmm. I, I find this bill very fascinating because I'm curious to see the transparency of it all. Um, I, I even know that some of the funding is going to benefit some of the um, nonprofits that I'm a part of or, or causes that I care very deeply about. Mm -hmm. um, so it's kind of a it's a catch 22 bill that's like if you say no to it, you are going to make some significant detrimental um, problems with some of the infrastructure mm -hmm. that some of these community services needed. But at the same time, you've also got six hundred thousand dollars to start new departments that are in here and departments that might not need to be prioritized. I, so I, hear, I hear you loud and clear, Chris, but timing is interesting. The governor knew all that stuff was headed her way, all right? It wasn't like they dropped this bill in her desk and she was like, oh my gosh, what is this? <laughs> she could have fired a warning shot early in the proceedings and said, guys, you know, the way you're going about this is not going to work, but she didn't choose to do that. And it's just, so here we are, it's all very interesting. Let me go back to the reason we're having this special though, and that is the gas tax. And, and Dave, let me ask you about this. There's a possibility of one-time checks of 110 to 160 for each tax filer or twice that for couples. There's some right. nuance there depending on your income, 75 grand, you know, all this. Let, let me ask you this. I, my personal opinion is whoever let this number out made a big mistake, a huge mistake. Here's why. We're the fifth largest state in the union. We already know it's killing rural parts of our, our state residents trying to get to work on, on gas. Other states are proposing three to four times this amount in right. states that are vastly smaller than ours. Right. So now we get this situation where someone's gonna have to go into this special and say, guys, whoever pros, proposed this 110 was not thinking clearly. We need a whole lot more money than this. And that's going to be a difficult conversation in my view. I, I'm curious what your thoughts are on that, this rolling out of this number so early. I mean, let's face it, $136 to buy gas when gas is approaching $10 a gallon isn't going to get you very far. And if we're going to go through all the rigmarole of having the special session, you know, I mean, it's a double-edged sword literally in New Mexico. On the one hand, the price of oil benefits the state and the price of oil really hurts people in rural areas who have to spend so much on gas for driving. But mm -hmm. let's put it this way. I would say go big or go home. If you're going gotcha. to do it, people $1,500, give people $2,000, wow. make so that they can in rural areas. And, you know, if we have the money, and it appears we do have the money, the state is in pretty good shape fiscally. I mean, the idea that it's, it, it's, it's one of those types of economic incentives that if you're a person who needs to you know, sort of this can complement a budget and you can spend it. It's going to be an immediate stimulus to the economy. That cannot be a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Daniel, what do you make of that price? 110 bucks for someone that's I mean, spending 110 Gene, a week. Yeah, I mean, Gene, so, I mean, but this is the question we talk about all the time, right? I mean, everybody's going to be, we're going to be safe because they get one week's worth of gas. Why don't we have a special session that talks about why we're in this situation? Thank you. Why don't we talk about addressing the real root causes of why gas is seven or $8 a barrel? What can we do, you know, not only in New Mexico, but nationally to address this, right? Why don't we, why don't we meet and put some pressure from our state on the feds and say, listen, we, we got to open up whatever the answer is. I'm obviously there's going to be different opinions of what that is. And I'm not trying to mm -hmm. change the direction of the conversation, but I just think this isn't, you know, this is another example of why, 
you know, I, I don't think the answers to our problems come out of elected officials necessarily. I think they create bigger problems, right? Mm -hmm. We mm -hmm. got this problem. We'll throw a little money at it. We'll make you happy right now, but we'll do nothing to address the root cause of the problem. We see it. We see it with how we've dealt with mental health in this state. We see it how we deal with education. We see it how, I mean, we could rattle off 50 issues over the course of the time that just that I've been on the show, let alone since I've been in the legislature, that we have this massive issue. And the answer is throw a little bit of money at it. And we'll all kind of put some, some, you know, like they said, we'll put some lipstick on the pig. At the end of the day, it's still a pig, right? I mean, we have done nothing to address the problem. The real problem is, is what are we going to do to address the fact that it is unbelievably expensive to travel through a state that is such a poor state and that we expect people to get jobs in places where they choose to live, where they don't even have high-speed internet, they don't have great phone service, they don't have good roads, they have, don't have adequate health care. The answer can't be, hey, let's pay for gas for a week so you can drive somewhere and we'll pat ourselves on the back and I'll go home. Mm -hmm. Crystal, follow up on that if you would. Is, is this scenario enough to, there's some political impl implications here uh, for the governor, it seems to me. Let's, let's say, you know, the legislature does this thing, they have 110 bucks, the governor signs it, they make a big hoop to do, and it really doesn't do much politically down the road. It would seem to me you've got to go big here, as Dave mentioned, or there's just not going to be much impact politically. Yeah, you always, I mean, for uh, for the legislature, for, for those that are elected, including the governor, you actually have to think about who's being impacted the most by gas prices. And it's our native reservations and eastern New Mexico, especially since the amount of travel that they have to do, yep. even if they had a freaking Prius, you know, the amount mm -hmm. of travel that they would have to do um, just to, to simply live, right? Grocery stores are not just five minutes away. They, you don't have the convenience of places like DoorDash and Instacart. You've got to drive 45 minutes to an hour to the closest grocery store mm -hmm. or even two hours to the nearest Dillard's. And so they're going to be very, very much impacted that their opinion, what the citizens of rural New Mexico, basically anybody outside of Albuquerque and Santa Fe should absolutely outweigh what those in Las Cruces, Rio Rancho, Valencia County, et cetera, mm -hmm. um, th their, their opinion matters most. And so I hope that the legislators in those specific areas would actually speak up more and find out what the community really needs. Because I can't imagine that if you live in Cuba, New Mexico, where there's one little convenience store and you need the necessary goods for hospital, healthcare, um, you know, doctor visits, et cetera, to be denied the ability to actually drive to Albuquerque for your doctor's appointments because you can't afford the gas mm -hmm. is going to be really monstrous instrumental that no matter if it's an elected official that makes this change um, or if it's you and me, the, the, the general public, their opinion about how much they should receive receives matters most above anybody else's. That's my my genuine take on it. Good final note there. That's all the time we have for that topic this week, but we'll be watching when the special starts April 5th. We'll check back in with the line panel in less than 20 minutes to talk about the lead up to the state's first legal cannabis sales. Going to stay with the line now and stay with the legislature. Uh, we've just ta talked about the special session. One thing that we don't expect to come up in the special session, but you never know. But there have been new allegations against Senator Dan Daniel Ivy Soto. Uh, we uh, knew already about claims from a lobbyist who said that uh, he treated her inappropriately, uh, both in terms of... Um, abusive language and language of a sexual nature. And also there was plenty of discussion about how much alcohol was involved in a lot of these situations. It's a complicated one because, again, lobbying is an art and a science, and uh, these are ways 
where they are social engagements often. Uh, alcohol can be involved, and uh, but it's not the first case we've also had of lawmakers being accused of going over the line. We don't know a lot about where the investigation within the Roundhouse currently is because that is all kept private. We do know that we have a new state ethics commission, but they are not involved at this point. And in a case like this, they would have to be invited to be involved. And so it doesn't feel like the most transparent way to go about things. And again, this week we had some organizations and some lobbyists within those organizations and leaders of those organizations write a letter asking for more action and ultimately the removal of Senator Ivy Soto from his position. What do you think about all this? Do you think that there should be more that's being done? Do you think we need to uh, tighten up the reins about how uh, lobbying is done in New Mexico? Uh, Should the Ethics Commission automatically intervene in a case like this? Lots to get into. We'd love to hear what you think about it. But let's jump right back in now and hear where the line opinion panelists fall on this issue. Welcome back to our line opinion panelists for one final discussion this week. A scandal in Santa Fe is growing fast. This week we learned about new accusations of sexual harassment and bullying involving State Senator Daniel Ivey Soto. Common Cause New Mexico and other groups issued a second open letter to state senators detailing more complaints of alleged harassment, gender-based bullying, and inappropriate advances. That's after their first letter last month where one female lobbyist laid out specific accusations of inappropriate touching, harassment, and bullying. It's worth pointing out that we are taping this on Thursday, and as of this moment, Senator Ivy Soto remains a senator. Now, given these new accusations, Daniel, as an ex-senator yourself, should he step down? First of all, Gene, I was on the smarter side of the House. I was a representative, so that's where the, sorry about that. You were a house well, man. Where the brains and the greater basketball record resided when I was in the legislature. I just mm-hmm. want to go on on record with that you know at some point you know so I, I mean that's always an individual question right i mean it's going to be interesting to see what the party is telling them uh, to find out what the leadership is telling him I, I it seems to me that senator ivy soto is reaching an untenable position right now okay. right that there's there's just you know uh it's just going to be very difficult for him to you know be able to navigate you know back in the days you could get away with these types of things accusations because it was a small bubble up there right you know you had a few media guys you had a couple statewide newspapers if you were able to get your local hometown reporter to understand you're not a bad guy you could survive but now with social media and the things like this uh it's it's just way too much And when i say survive i don't mean from a scandal of you know harassing people i'm just saying you think about the amount of people that got duis or had issues up there mm-hmm. that it never affected them later on today um i just think he's in a place now where um you know i i don't think that he's got anybody advocating on his behalf on the legislative side and that's going to be difficult when they go into the committee to say listen we're going to you know, we're going to make a change. Mm-hmm. The other thing that makes it difficult is that people aren't thinking about regardless of the people involved. Again, I, you know, I feel for everybody that's involved in this situation, the victims, the people that are the the, the accusers, uh, Senator Ivy Soto as well. I mean, everybody has has to uh, has to be thought of. But at the end of the day, you have to also say uh, it's a pretty safe Democrat district, I believe, that he's a senator in. 
And so, you know, you know he's going to get primaried, and you're just not sure that uh, the leadership of the party is going to say, we want to spend a bunch of money uh, protecting you or knocking you out. So this wow. is the opportunity to really to do it. You'd see, I think you'd see uh, leadership dig their heels in right. if it was more of a swing seat, right, on either side saying, hey, we don't want to lose that vote. Uh, but in this, when things like this happen and you're from a very safe seat for that party, mm -hmm. it's really easy for the party to say it's time to make a change. Interesting point there. Uh, Crystal, the Senate is going to, sorry, Dan, you're a House, former House Minority Whip, didn't mean to put you on the Senate side there. But Crystal, the Senate is conducting a formal investigation into the complaints, but beyond that, we don't have many details because according to policy at the Roundhouse, investigations into harassment complaints are confidential. Doesn't it seem logical that the State Ethics Commission should handle cases like this? Um, absolutely, in terms of the potential part of it, but it, you have to think of, you know, from coming from the lens of transparency, and I hope, you know, Senator Dede Feldman would be proud of me to say this. It's like, you have to protect, there's a time for transparency and there's a time to protect the victims or those that have been affected by this. Mm -hmm. And so I understand that the Ethics Commission should really t evaluate the, the scenario, the situation, but from a higher level perspective, not necessarily the details of the accusations, because you don't want to start re-triggering anybody that, that is had dealt with the sexual harassment, mm -hmm. the uncomfortable situations, et cetera. I'm sorry, I, I have to go back to, you know, Dan, I appreciate what you're saying, and especially because of your insight. You're way smarter than me, and I'll probably be the only person saying this. You're way smarter than me when it comes to the politics of politics, right? But when it comes to sexual harassment and gender-based um, accusation, or ge negatively gender-based accusations, at the end of the day, those come first. The victims, the, those that have been harassed have to come first in a situation especially mm -hmm. since Emerge New Mexico is involved now and Common Cause and among other nonprofits that are very closely aligned. This, yes, if he decides not to resign, that's his prerogative. But without a doubt, he's going to be negatively impacted on the next election that he has. Crystal, like, Crystal if he doesn't resign, should the Senate move uh, to expel him? Um, I, you know, I, I will let him, Senator Ivy Soto, dig his own grave. And that's what I'm going to say about that, mm -hmm. because if you look at his interviews and the way that he's handling the situation and, you know, I applaud as a public relations professional, I applaud the fact that he said that he's a no comment kind of guy. But I have a tendency just like him when you open your mouth and you don't know what's going to come out of it. He's making things worse for himself. So uh, if if he doesn't resign. He's going to dig. He's just going to keep digging that hole. Yeah. End of discussion. So. I, I just, Gene, I got to ask Crystal, Please. did I, did you think that I said that we shouldn't be supporting the victims? No, 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 no. That's not what I said. What okay. I, what I mean is I understand the, the politics of it and, and, and I appreciate, you know, you having that insight, but I don't think he's going to continue in his seat because the victim's voices are going to be louder than the political voices. I got you. Okay. I just, I just want to make sure. I mean, I'm not, I'm not advocating or saying you should get oh, away no. with this or, and I'm not, you know, I, 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 I feel for all the victims that have come forward. I just, I just think this lots of times, you know, the, the, yeah, I was just trying to give an, an inside perspective of the politics, knowing that, you know, that that's something that we were talking about. But yeah, I, it's, okay, a, it's, I just... it's an interesting point there. Dave, let me swing you in here. The executive director of previously mentioned Common Cause New Mexico. I, I, I love this point. She says there is a broader toxic culture at the roundhouse when it comes to lawmaker interactions with lobbyists. That includes drinking and, and, and the important part to me, an expectation of some level of harassment or bullying.
Now, I think right. that's really getting down to the nut of it to me that, you know, we've got this system now where people are, are like, you know what, this is the way it goes down. You should expect a hard time here. You right. know, it, that's got to go somehow. What, what, I'm interested in your take on that. Well, I mean, I think a lot of this is generational. I think that, you know, you know, Daniel Ivy Soto, he's a little bit younger than I am. And, you know, but I think that if you if you spend any time speaking to millennials, like they are so in tune with what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. Mm -hmm. That doesn't make any excuses for what's happened here. And if there is, a, you know, a culture in the legislature and in the roundhouse and, in, you know, the body politic in Santa Fe that needs to be changed. Listen, the best thing you can do is use your vote, get younger people, get more women in there, and that's going to solve it as much as anything. Mm -hmm. Well, and I want to comment on that toxic culture too, Please. really quickly. Absolutely. I don't. I don't know if it's. I. I. You know. I don't know enough, but I think one of the things that always when I first started going around the 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 the, the roundhouse and and as a communications professional, just simply complimenting the work. It's all a game. It's all a show to actually see and connect and get to know people and relationship building and, and, you know, all of these different things. So I can understand, I definitely understand where Heather is coming from, the, the executive director of mm -hmm. Common Cause New Mexico. But again, you, you know, what Dave said, it, it is a little bit of the old, old school way of thought, right. but it goes back to the conversation we are all having very candidly. How do you modernize the legislature? So you're not just Absolutely. whining and dining all the time. You're actually right. making effective work, including on the downtime. And, yeah. and it's not just always about partying and, you know, everybody loves a good party. I know I do, but it is a it is a very different culture. Whenever you're lobbying, and I respect that, mm -hmm. to come to to light instead of behind the scenes. Daniel, what do you make of the idea? It's been reported that uh, Mr. Ivy Soto was cracking open bottles of wine and sharing, killing bottles of wine with with the lobbyist in his office. And I, I don't want to get into what's very common. Can, is that not a sign that we need to be more professional here? I mean, there's a lot of folks that would look at that from the outside looking and saying, you know what, that's your problem right there. You got people who feel like it's okay to just get drunk in the middle of the day and then things happen, of course, as we know, when there's alcohol involved. You're a former legislator. Should all these things be banned officially? Yeah, I mean, I don't know how you're going to ban all these things, right? I mean, that's the answer isn't banning all the stuff. I mean, the, the answer is better choices, right? Know who you're electing that's going to make better choices. Right. I mean, right. I, you know, I, my, Character, I, I, 100%. I remember I remember a good friend of mine once told me when I first got elected and I, I tried to live by this up there. Um, you know, not that I was any magnet for attracting uh, people that want to come spend time alone with me. I mean, I was sort of a sort of ostracized. But, you know, I, I tried to live my legislative career by the Billy Graham rule. Right. And Billy Graham used to say people used to ask Billy Graham all the time. How have you maintained all a scandal free life on every, you know, back in the 80s and all these scandals were coming up? And he said, you know, I've got the Billy Graham rule. I'm never alone in a room with the door closed with a single woman unless it's my wife. And, uh, you know, I, I made a point when I was in the legislature that, you know, if anybody came to see me, I tried man, woman, constituent, not constituent. I always had a staffer in there with me, you know, for the length of that conversation. And, uh, you know, it was rare that you would shut the door. And obviously, if a friend comes in. But, and, now, but what about the legislators buddy, who are not as conscientious, Dan? 
That, I yeah, love the story, but what do we do about the people who want to get loaded in the middle of the Dude, day? What do you want I to just, do? They're running for office. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. at some point we have to realize the voter elections have consequences, right? I mean, I, I'm having this conversation now with friends of mine. Are about, we supposed to know uh, this about the, these personalities when they're running for office? You should get to know it. How do you not know it? I mean, you're yeah. out people. There's plenty of indicators. There's plenty of ways to get to know people. Look, you can look at who's supporting them, where they worked, who they're running with, what their what their platforms are. And I'm not saying you should know this the first time, Gene. There's going to be there's going to be an opportunity coming up here shortly. I'm I'm not picking on Senator Ivy Soto. There's going to be a situation coming up here shortly where he may say, "I'm not getting out." Right. And you know what? We'll know loud and loud and clear what his constituents think, right? I mean, yep, we knew exactly we knew we knew when I was in the legislature, there were people who got in trouble for things, and and they got reelected. And at the end of the day, you know, I don't think it's our job to try to put a bubble around everybody and say we have to have rules to protect people. People have got to be smart enough to know who they're voting for, what the what they're getting in their legislator, and making making honest, conscientious decisions about that. Thanks again to our line panel as always this week. All right, be sure to let us know what you think about any of the topics the line covered on our Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram pages. Starting to see some signs of spring all around us. Just a great time of year to be in New Mexico. And we love it when we can get outdoors. And that's something we were able to do and bring to you this week. A great story from our land correspondent, Laura Paskus. And this has to do with a project to really take an area along the Rio Grande in the Bosque in Corrales, and uh, do a little bit of landscaping, landscaping work. We're all used to that if you've got a yard. Uh, this is landscaping of a different kind, but the purpose, uh, much the same. It uh, will change how things look, but it will also change how the river acts, especially in certain conditions, and therefore hopefully help the wildlife, the plant life around the Rio Grande and something that could be replicated in other places as well. So what is this Bosque Planting Project all about? Let's find out now from correspondent Laura Paskus. The Rio Grande, the largest river in our state, works so hard for us. It provides water for drinking and irrigation, and it also takes our stormwater and our waste. One place you can see this dynamic at work is in Corrales. After a storm, runoff churns down the Harvey Jones Channel, and every day, four to five million gallons of treated wastewater pour from the city of Rio Rancho into the river. Now, a new project is improving that infrastructure and putting that water to better use for the environment. This area left unmanaged had this very high bank of sediment that had accumulated in this site and was growing mostly invasive species. So it wasn't creating um, and maintaining valuable habitat for wildlife as it was. And so at that point, it's up to us to sort of intervene and try to recreate the processes that will allow for natural systems to function and flourish. We've been working for a while now to eliminate flooding potential in the northern half of the village of Corrales due to the Harvey Jones Channel. And we've imposed a couple of different solutions upstream of the concrete channel and done some reconfiguration of the channel. And this particular project helps us finally evacuate all of the water out of the channel after a rainstorm. 
The arroyo bottoms are fantastic ways to convey stormwater into groundwater. So ways to capture that and re-inject it into the groundwater aquifer. With the realignment of the wastewater outfall, really the benefit is that we're keeping the soil microbes alive. And that's where the magic happens with green stormwater infrastructure. That's where the healthy bacteria and fungi are able to capture and break down the pollutants that would come in the stormwater and so that they can trap those pollutants and break them down both chemically and physically so that uh, those pollutants aren't reaching the Rio Grande and affecting our, our beautiful river. We have the intersection of all sorts of resources. In this case, we have the river, we have the Harvey Jones Channel, we have the sewer effluent line from the city of Rio Rancho, and we bring all those together into a location where we can have this type of facility or this type of uh, restoration of wetlands and make all those resources work together. So work with your partners. It's my hope that these areas become a breeding ground for endangered species and other wildlife that we have here in the Bosque. Um, I know that there are silvery minnow that were found just downstream of where we're standing. Um, and so hopefully this area will become a backwater habitat and potentially breeding um, habitat for that species, as well as tons of other birds and wildlife. There's lots of opportunity to replicate this project up and down the Rio Grande, particularly in places where you have outfall of a permanent water supply that will help maintain the vegetation and the healthy soils that are needed for the natural filtering that happens in wetlands. All right, we're going to end this episode where we began, as we often do. That's with our line opinion panelists. And as we often do, try to bring you some of the extra content we've been gathering throughout the week bring it to you here in the podcast. This is stuff we just don't have time for in our show, but we can bring it to you here, and that is terrific. This is our weekly show warm-up with the line opinion panelists. We call it One More Thing. We go around the table, find out what else is on people's minds or stories they're tracking, again, that we just don't have time for in the show. We stream this live on Facebook and YouTube every week about 11 o'clock on Thursday mornings if you want to catch that live. But don't worry, we'll bring it to you here too. And particularly want to take note of a discussion towards the end of this about a longtime Republican Party strategist, Pat Rogers, also an attorney who did work on behalf of the party. He died suddenly recently. And Dan Foley obviously had a connection and a history with Pat Rogers. And he talks a little bit about that. But what else are you seeing Hearing where you are at, what else would you like us to be talking about on the show? You have plenty of ways to let us know. Drop us a line here on the podcast or search us out on any of our social media platforms, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook. You can drop us a note any of those places. Give us some thoughts on upcoming shows. We'll try to make it happen. But here now, one more time, is the Line Opinion Panel. I'm Gene Grant here in the PBS studio with our line opinion panelists joining me on Zoom on the big screen right there. We're about to record this week's show, but before we do, we like to warm up by taking a turn at other issues that are on our minds. So many issues, so little time. Dave Mulryan, always good to see you, my friend. What's your one more thing this week? 
Well, you know, we were given a, a, a bunch of topics uh, to just sort of what we were going to come up with. And, and one of the thing, one of the things that I was thinking about as, as I was reading through the topics, things like FAA allowing the balloons to fly and, you know, we are going to get cannabis is going to be able to be legally for sale in Albuquerque. And we have some issues with the state senator having some allegations against him. And, and I was thinking one of the things, and Dan and I probably disagree on this, but, you know, I was thinking the one thing that seems that all of these things, things seem to require is more government. I really believe that in this sort of post-COVID, if we are post-COVID, this whole new era of like, you know, in some ways the state has gotten a huge amount of money from the feds. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's time for us to look at and say, do we need to professionalize our legislature? Do we need to go from being the last volunteer legislature in the country to having a full-time legislature, to paying everyone, to having it set up? Are Are we a state that is now going to require more government. And I understand that that's antithetical to what some people in political parties believe, but is it going to be in the state's best interest to actually have more government? And that means professionalizing and paying the state legislatures would be, that's what I've been thinking about when I looked at all of these issues that we keep coming up with over and over and over again. Do we just have all hands on deck or enough hands on deck to really govern the state, you know, that, that is best for everybody, including the legislators. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm enraptured a bit by what you're saying, because, of course, that's been a theme here on New Mexico in Focus for a little bit of time here. This idea that, Dave, we've got to sneak up on this idea of a full time legislature. It, it, you know, it's not working. I'll give you an example later. Of course, we're going to record the show for Friday night and talk right. about the proposals for the gas tax. Right. Well, other legislators are talking about the same thing, but right now, they're not right. waiting for a special session. They're, they're d- discussing it right now, and the, and the discussion's right. very different because of that. Can we sneak up on this, Dave? Can we get to I, I four months, we, six think, months? What, what can we do I mean, here? I think you need, we need a big bang theory. We need just do it. Just make it professional. I don't even know where the Dan. I don't even know where the committees would where the paperwork would start coming out of the committees. Right. If we have to go to referendum, if this the the citizens have to decide, I just think boom, let's do it. Big bang. I mean, if we can legalize cannabis, let's have a full time, professionally paid legislature that's available year round, because I think we are looking at a brave new world based on so many things that have happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's funny you mentioned that too, Dave, because I actually spoke to um, some of the legislators that are, are no longer returning in the next session. And the legislation is actually being drafted as we speak about the modernization of the legislature, a more modern legislature. Because huh. if you think about it, most of the business, uh, the those that are actually in legislature right now are either retired because they have the time and the income, or um, they, they already have um, jobs that they can actually have people actually take the workload off of them so they can meet their obligations. Mm-hmm. So it becomes really challenging for them to actually basically live their lives. And also, if the state of New Mexico is preaching to be a more family-friendly state in terms of business, the legislature at its current point right now is not very family-friendly because legislators right. have to sacrifice their time with their loved ones. So yeah, I, I, I think that's a very interesting topic that no, it shouldn't be kicked down the can because you're actually accidentally excluding the common person from being elected to the to the it's just mm-hmm. it's non-representative is how i look at oh, it oh yeah mm-hmm. yeah 100 percent. dan let me ask you on on the point dave just made 
Would you think there would be a different cut of candidate out there if we went to a full-time legislative scheme? Would, would it like no. some better, you know, candidates no. come to the surface? No, there's not going to be any. It's not going to change anything other, other. Well, first of all, to to everybody's point, it can't happen unless the people vote to change the, the state constitution. Mm -hmm. And uh, <clears throat> we tried to. <clears throat> if people remember when I right before I right when I first got in, we were capped at seventy-five dollars a day per diem. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's all you can make. And I mean, staying in a hotel, the cheapest hotel you could find was like $85 a night. So it was costing you $10 out of your pocket just to stay in a hotel, let alone if you tried to eat, bought gas, did all the other things. And uh, they went to the taxpayers and said, hey, listen, we want to get a raise. And it was summarily defeated. I mean, it wasn't even close. Right. The only right. way they got a pay raise is they went back to the they went back to the taxpayers and said, uh, "We're going to craft the wording on this amendment that says legislators will be paid no more than the IRS allows." Right. And overwhelmingly, people thought they were cutting the pay of legislators. And overnight, you went from seventy five dollars a day to one hundred forty five dollars a day. So, uh, I, I mean, I, I'm not sure that it will attract uh, a better candidate. The pro the problem that we've had in these conversations is is what do you pay right mm -hmm. i mean you know it, we do say we're the only citizen legislature and we are but there's a lot of hybrids out there right there's states that only pay for you to have an office they pay you a small stipend and then a per diem and you still have a job there's other states that have said we're not paying you don't do anything other than you're a full-time legislator and so I mean, what do you do in new mexico i mean and and i know you're gonna laugh and this is the argument you and i have all the time gene right mm -hmm. what's the right number right mm -hmm. how much do you pay for education what's the right amount well what do you pay a legislator right do you right. look at it and say hey in a state like new mexico the median income is 34 five i'm just rounding it sure. off for a four per family of four Who's going to run to be a legislator to quit their job to make $34,500 a year? Do you turn around and say, hey, we're going to pay those guys $175,000 a year? I mean, right now, our, our attorney general makes under $100,000 a year. Mm -hmm. Our governor makes like one fifteen. I mean, you can make more money, you know, you can make more money, more money opening up a bar down in Roswell than you can to be governor of New Mexico. So we are pretty antiquated uh, in the state with how we pay mm -hmm. these folks. I'm just not sure you're going to get people to jump on board to say, hey, listen, you know, we're going to pay legislators 50000 70000 I mean, do you pay them more than you pay a teacher? Do you pay them less? Do you pay them? Right. I mean, because, that's the million-dollar question. I think that begs the question, though. We've done so much for teachers. Like, it seems like we're in this mode of, like, let's bring New Mexico up to the modern world, you know? Mm -hmm. And so they, you're making very good points. Maybe we need to look at how much do we pay all of our civil, you know, the, the people that we elect? I mean, right. we need to have that discussion because I think in having that discussion, we're also saying to the citizens of New Mexico, right now you have a volunteer legislature and you don't, you know, but if we have the discussion in New York, here's what the legislators make. I think California has the highest paid, you know, red legislators and I have no idea how much what the money is, but is our governor paid fairly? I don't know, you know, and maybe we need to have that discussion. Mm -hmm. And when you start saying, you know, like you get what you pay for it. I think the governor's done a great job in showing what happens when you start giving teachers a huge increase or a big raise. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. These, I, I'm fascinated by this discussion and Dan, I don't want to miss your points. I think you've made some very solid points in there. It's come up a lot if you propose that you're going to pay these folks 80 grand a year. Well, there's an instant gag there in the in the public's consciousness about who pays what, because I don't think there's a full understanding of what a legislature legislator actually does throughout the course of an entire year to equate that money. I, I think there's a big disconnect there. 
and also the weight of decision-making. I don't think we're the kind of place that respects necessarily that you have to have decision makers who are good at making decisions and that needs to be paid for. <laughs> it's just well, a very complicated situation. Go ahead, Crystal, my well, fault. Well, don't, don't you, don't, you brought up a really interesting point too, because if you, if you throw money, if, if a salary is actually in, uh, put into the equation mm -hmm. in the whole scheme of legislators and legislators, like granted, I'm not, I'm not Dan, I've never been in, in the legislative area, but if I was running for office and I said I would have a stable income and I don't actually have to be influenced by the money in terms of political campaigning. Like I know for a fact that I will be fine. Mm -hmm. And in fact, my salary can even go towards the campaign funds to, to run for office to begin with. Yep. Wouldn't that actually make a little bit more of a, it would change the dynamic of the election process too, knowing that the legislator would be potentially paid, right? And, and I would think too, I look at the people that have are currently in office and I would disagree that you know, people like myself can run for office tomorrow just because we have stable incomes and we're just fine. But that doesn't mean that they're savants. Like one of my favorite candidates of all time was Gus Pedrotti. Like homie didn't even have a college degree. He was still in school mm -hmm. um, and he ran his campaign on $10,000 and he was being paid minimum wage at, to, to work at a local restaurant. Like if he actually came into office and he could actually make a career out of it and be a politician, mm -hmm. that would be really great for him and, and other young people across the country that actually want to run for office. Mm -hmm. So I think it would change the dynamic of the election process. And like you said, just more modernization and, and the right people would actually be, or the right people would be running for office, but the question always becomes, will the right people be elected into ah, office too? I like that so. last bit there, absolutely. And I don't want to lose your point about generational change. Thank you oh, yeah. very much for getting that in there. That is a key part of this because again, if it's loaded with retirees and self-employed people and ranchers and the average age is, is near 70, I just, I, you know, I'm near that, uh, so I'm not putting my own down, but you know, there are, uh, there's time yeah. for a younger voice in this I mean, world, it, so. You know, Senator Candelaria had ran when he was 25 and right. him and I have, uh, have, have our, our careers have been parallel where I opened the agency and he opened up his law firm. And Senator Candelaria had to make a lot of sacrifices to get where he is, granted like, now where he's at right now with, with the legislature is sure. a different story. But I mean, I remember when, and he was still single and he was just scraping by, but he wanted to serve the people. He luckily had that sweat equity to actually do the job. Yep. Um, even Representative Bankua, you know, she's she's a, a new mom, she's a young mom. And mm -hmm. so the fact that she has to sacrifice time with her kids to actually serve the legislature, yep. but her perspective is huge where she passed the language access bill on her first term, on her first term. So yeah, generational change can be huge for the, for the legislature. Good points so. there. Hey, Dan, I don't want to leave you out of the one more thing. Did you have a one more thing for this week you wanted to comment on? Yeah, I mean, it was there was a there was a couple things, but the mm -hmm. only one more thing I would bring up, uh, I'm, I'm sure may raise some eyebrows, but I I think uh, we should I should acknowledge at least uh, the passing of Pat Rogers. Mm. Uh, Pat Rogers passed away on Saturday and Pat Rogers, a longtime Republican National Committee man, yep. uh, attorney. Um, you know, he's uh, he's worked for multiple administrations, was a lobbyist in Santa Fe, uh, you know, regardless of, of where uh, you stood with Pat. One of the neat things about Pat Rogers was regardless of where you stood with Pat on uh, an issue, you could go out and shoot baskets with Pat or 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 have a have a beer with Pat afterwards. And, and uh, you know, part of part of the old school guys where you might argue all day and then go out and meet up Saturday morning and shoot basketball. And he was, he was a pretty effective basketball player. A uh, good attorney, a uh, good guy, and uh, leaves behind a family and uh, a, a couple of sons, a wife, and uh, 
you know, just a, just a, just a, it's just a shame whenever something happens uh, to anybody like that. And so, you know, I, my one more thing is just to take a moment. We've talked about politics on the show all the time, and you're not going to get anybody who's much more involved in politics than Pat was. And so uh, we're going to miss him. I think not only in New Mexico, uh, Republicans clearly are going to miss him, but I think New Mexico is going to miss him for his dedication to trying to make the place where he grew up better. Good stuff there. Interesting guy, Pat Rogers. He really had a lot of influence around these ports for a long time. Have to wrap that up there. Thanks for joining us. New Mexico in Focus airs Friday nights, as you might know, but also Sunday mornings right here in New Mexico PBS. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. We're already hard at work on our next episode, which should be coming out on Monday, the 28th of March. More from our line opinion panel. At that point, we will be four days before legal recreational cannabis sales in New Mexico. But is New Mexico ready? We'll find out what our line opinion panels think. We'll also sit down with the new state engineer, really heads up water planning and legal issues around water here in New Mexico, Mike Hammond. He is a name you have seen before on our land here on New Mexico in Focus. And our correspondent, Laura Paskus, sits down with him to get his priority list and his thoughts on water in New Mexico. Lastly, a great panel of local journalists, not at the big outlets here in Albuquerque, but at some of the smaller outlets surrounding Albuquerque, with very different sort of visions and mission for journalism and serving their communities uh, and how that we can all help support them in the great work that they do to keep us all informed and educated. So all that and more coming up on our next episode. Until then, thanks as always for listening. Stay safe, stay healthy. Thank you.